Is that something like that? Thank you guys so much. Wow, let's let's pray as we go before God's word this morning. Father, thank you that you have loved us the way you love us, and that we can sing about Jesus who is ours, not because we're worthy, but because you have loved us. And so we pray now that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us through your servant, fill us with your truth, and allow us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're kicking off a new year, and especially as we look forward to next week where we get to celebrate our one-year anniversary as TMBC, I thought it appropriate to take a couple of weeks to consider the church and what the church is supposed to look like. We've been one church together for a whole year. How are we measuring up? What should we be measuring ourselves against? By asking ourselves the question every once in a while, what should we be doing as a church? We get to stop and take inventory. We get to measure our growth, think about our challenges. Most importantly, we get to turn back to the Lord and to His Word for guidance and grace. You see, to ask ourselves the question, what should we be doing as a church, we're we're forced to ask a much more pivotal question. What are we as a church? And what makes us what we are? If you look at the title that I gave this message in your bulletins, on the back of the bulletin, you'll see a few things that already stand out. Most significantly, we are Christ's church. Christ's church. And the reality, that reality guides every other aspect of the existence as our, uh, of our existence as a church. We are Christ's church. And I want to say this delicately. I don't want to be known as anything more and certainly nothing less than being Christ's church. Being Christ-centered, Christ-dependent, Christ followers. We don't need a gimmick. We don't need a scheme or a special stunt. We just need to know that we're Christ's. We belong to Him. He's the head of the church, not Jason, not the elders. Christ is the head. Paul says in Colossians 1.18, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Beloved, we want Jesus glorified. Jesus to be made much of. We want people to come here into this church and we want them to find one thing, Jesus. And I want you to know this too. If we stop preaching Jesus, we want you to leave. And we want you to find a church that does. Or actually, you should just get rid of us. Make us leave if we stop preaching Jesus. 
As Paul says, if I or an angel from heaven were to come and preach a gospel different than what you have heard, in other words, something different than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, let him be anathema, cursed. And, and we're serious about this, beloved. If ever Jason starts preaching Jason, kick him out. If I or the elders make it about ourselves, take action. Now look, we're not planning to do anything like that. That's not the goal for 2024 or something. But I, I need you to hear from me and our elders, this is Christ's church. Amen? That's what sets it apart. Not anything else. That's what makes us who we are, and that's what makes every Christian church that is a true, truly a Christian, Christ-centered church the same. And we're not in competition. We're together for the glory of God because Christ is worthy. You know, growing up, and, and sadly still to this day, I think uh, we have had a tendency to use the pastor's name as the identity of the church. Uh, some people still say it that way, right? We, we refer to the, name, the, the church by the name of its pastor, sometimes by its founding pastor, even though that pastor's not alive anymore. For years, some of you guys know the church, we used to call it the Turian Church. The brother had been passed away and in glory for years, but we still called it that. Uh, we call, sometimes we call it the MacArthur's Church or Alistair Begg's Church or not Jason's Church, I hope. No, no, it's Christ's Church. Now, why is this important? Because it is the foundation of our existence as a church, and it informs everything that we do. It must inform everything that we do. Christ is the one and only Christ who sets us apart. If we're set apart for other reasons, they're not they're essential. They don't matter. But we live for Him. We're His bride. The passage we're going to look at this morning comes at the heels of Pentecost. The Spirit had fallen upon the disciples just as Jesus had promised was going to happen. And if you remember the story, you remember it well, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up to preach there in Jerusalem after the Spirit had come. And the disciples had already been experiencing the work of the Spirit in their lives as they were out there speaking in languages of the, the, the people that had traveled a long distance to come for the festival in Jerusalem, and they're speaking in languages that they didn't know. But those that come from those regions, they knew. They understood, and they were speaking the mighty things of God. And some of the people in the crowds even thought they must be drunk. If you remember, Peter gets up to preach. I want you to see this. You know what spirit-filled preaching did? Now look, if there's spirit-filled preaching, it had to be on Pentecost, right? There's no other choice. The Spirit had just been poured out, and the first sermon preached after the coming of the Holy Spirit focused on what? Jesus. It pointed to Jesus as the Lord and the Christ. That's what spirit-filled preaching does. Peter got up and he preached about Jesus. Acts 2.22, Peter says this, Jesus of Nazareth, 
A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He preached about Jesus. He goes on to explain that that very Jesus went to the cross by God's plan only to rise again after three days, revealing that he himself is Lord and Christ. And Peter says throughout, he says, look, the Jesus you crucified is actually the Messiah and the Lord. Now imagine the people receiving that word. The scriptures tell us what happens. The people heard that word and it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? What do we do now that we realize that the guy that we've been mocking and laughing at and questioning and finally the the one that we killed... What do we do now that we realize that He is actually the Lord and He's risen? I'm sure that they were thinking kind of the same thing that Joseph's brothers were thinking when Joseph revealed himself. Do you guys remember back in Egypt? Can you imagine that collective sigh, that gulp that came? Uh Uh-oh. The guy we tried to sell into slavery, the one that we wanted to kill, and now he's here and he's in charge. What shall we do? The people asked. Peter's response, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now listen, I want you to notice what Peter does not say to that question, what shall we do? He doesn't say, go and and make yourself clean and then come back. He doesn't say, hey, go grab five sheep, two turtle doves, and a goat, sacrifice those, and then come back. He doesn't even say, go get your checkbook, okay? This is going to cost you. No. Really, Peter's answer boils down to this Simple statement. Just turn to Jesus and cling to Him. He came to save you. Be baptized in His name means that you are being united to Him and His work. You're trusting Him. Instead of rejecting Him, now you're receiving Him by faith. And your sins, even the sin of what you did to put Jesus on the cross... They will be forgiven. And look at this. A double grace. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Beloved, this is true for every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Which means every Christian, which means the church, okay? The church is a gathering of people who have received Jesus by faith and are filled with, with His Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is the language of the New Covenant. Now that is our identity. United to Christ, filled with His Spirit. 
This is why we are in church. This isn't a club membership of our favorite hobbies or pastimes. We are Christ's people and we really have no choice but to be gathered together in this place for His purposes. Suddenly, when we realize that that's what it means, that we are those who have received Christ and are filled with the Spirit, gathered in one place to worship Him for He is worthy, suddenly arguing about the carpet color doesn't seem important anymore, as some churches have argued. Suddenly, even the, the, the style of music doesn't make, make much of a difference. And suddenly, and I want you to hear this, just showing up on Sundays for an hour and a half doesn't seem like it's what this means. Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added. Added to what? To this group that was eventually identified as Christians. To the church to the group of believers in Jesus and filled with the Spirit. And now they are under the care of the apostles. They were visibly set apart as Jesus' people and the leadership knew who was part of their group. But is that it? Is that the end of the story? The important part is done. Now they've believed, they became part of the church, and now we, we can go on with life. What happens to those who come to believe in the glorious gospel of Jesus. That's what we want to talk about this morning and next week. Do you, do you remember before Jesus' ascension, the commission that Jesus left his people? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you know it well. Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what else? teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to note the pattern of the Great Commission. Going, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Well, baptize is how they become part of the visible church. They become part of the, the set-apart body of believers. But then we're to do what? Teach them. Teach them. Baptism, that adds them to the body, but we are then to teach them. They are to grow. They are to, to learn. Discipleship, beloved, does not end when one comes to Christ. Actually, it only begins. That's church life together. Discipleship and growth. So what does the life of learning, the life of being a disciple, the life of following Jesus look like? How do they live together and, and what can we learn from the descriptions of how the earliest believers were doing things? Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. We're going to see some important elements. This morning we're going to take a, a general overview. Next week we're going to dig a little bit further into some of the details. Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 42. Listen to God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen? May God bless the reading of His holy word. Some key language that we're going to focus on, and maybe you could see it, maybe you saw it jump out at you as you were reading through this passage just now, but three words stood out to me as I was examining this passage. Devotion, together, and daily. Devotion, together, and daily. Look at verse 42. Let's start with devotion. Notice how Luke summarizes in verse 42 the basic elements of what church life together looked like. They devoted themselves to the following four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, we'll talk about that, and the prayers. Now, before we can look at each of the elements, we have to ask ourselves a question. What does it mean that they were devoted to these things? What does that word devotion even mean? The word translated devoted has a range of meanings that really focus on the idea of attaching oneself to something, holding fast to it. One lexicon gives this meaning. It says associating closely and continuously with something. Closely and continuously. Beloved, this is not a casual part of life. It's core. Something that gives identity in some respects, or maybe a better way of saying it, it comes out of our identity in Christ. Because we're Christ by grace, we now desire to be devoted to Him and His things. What is Christ devoted to? We want to be devoted to it as well. A person who's devoted to his family. It's not someone who interacts only on occasion, doesn't think much about his family, and considers his family only when it's convenient. That wouldn't be devotion. If you're devoted to something or to someone, you make that thing or that person a priority. Beloved, I want you to understand that we're all devoted to something. Probably many things. Even if we don't think in those terms, it's what we attach ourselves to and persist in. So so for some, it might be leisure and comfort, vacationing, napping. Maybe a hobby that's more than a hobby for us. It it might be our work. it, It might be our money. It might be our families. We're devoted to something or some things. And the question is, For us this morning, our first Sunday together in the new year, are we devoted to what Christians are called to be devoted to? Things that naturally flow out of what it means to be Christian. 
what it means to be a follower of Jesus and one who is filled with His Spirit. Are we devoted Christianly to what our Lord desires us to be devoted to? I know it's difficult to see this in our English translations, but the very same word is used. Look in your Bibles at verse 46. The same word is actually used again in verse 46. There in the ESV, it translates it attending the temple. But the CSB, I think, is helpful because it translates it this way. It says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. It keeps that same word and translates it the same way, devoted. This was a commitment, a pattern they found value in. Day by day, they went to the temple together with a purpose. We're going to come back to that purpose. They were devoted to these new commitments. They were closely and continuously associated with this pattern. TMBC, let's ask ourselves this question. If outsiders are looking in, if they're going to examine the life of this church family here together, what would they say we are devoted to. Now, please don't all answer at once, okay? This is just something to think about, kind of rhetorical, but I want you to think about it. And then I want you to ask yourself this other question. What would someone say you are devoted to? Collectively, as a church, what are we devoted to? And then individually, what are we devoted to? Here's what those who observed the earliest Christians, here's what they found. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking bread. That means eating. We'll talk about that. They were devoted to the prayers. If If you were an onlooker in the first century, watching the first Christians and how they responded to becoming Christians, here's what we would see. They realized that they needed to know this Jesus who saved them. Not only did they need to know Him, they wanted to know everything they possibly could know about Him. They wanted to hear everything the apostles had to say about this Jesus. It seems to me that they could not get enough Verse 46, day by day they were doing this. Day by day means day by day, every single day. From what we read elsewhere, people were clamoring to hear the word. They were filling rooms. Some fell out of the second story, died, were raised again to life, and then they kept listening to teaching. If you remember the story of Eutychus. Paul would preach to large groups. Paul would go house to house to teach the apostles teaching was foundational remember that later in acts when the community life was challenged with some division the apostles said that they were going to have to have others handle the logistics because they had to commit themselves to teaching the word and prayer those were the most important aspects of their work why because that's where christian growth and discipleship really flows from the preaching and teaching of the word we are nurtured and given grace through the living word of god how do you grow if you don't eat how do you grow if you don't eat beloved we need to be filled with the word so we devote ourselves to the apostles teaching 
We attach ourselves to it. We are closely and continuously associated with it. That's why Sunday mornings we give significant time to the Word preached and more and more hopefully to the Word read. That's also why we offer so many opportunities to study the Word together. So here's a shameless plug. If you haven't joined one of our various studies, I encourage you to do so. There's so much joy in studying God's Word together. Growth that comes from knowing Him. But there's more. The early Christians weren't only devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were also devoted to the fellowship. That word there, koinonia, you've probably heard it many times. It has to do with sharing, participating together in something. It actually has to do with partaking. Really, we could even say it means partnership. I think verses 43 and on help us to grasp what sharing together looked like. They were eating and they were praying. Now, I think that we get the eating part down pretty well. Do you guys think we get the eating part down? In this church, we eat. We eat a lot. And I'm sure this year we'll eat some more, okay? But there's something important here. This aspect of their devotion leads us to another related word and a second point together they're together beloved look at verse 44 fellowship in the earliest christians took on a certain shape now look this is descriptive i'm not saying that it must take on the same exact shape as it took in that case but it does come out of the same renewed heart that they had and we have too in christ so there's something about this that can be seen as prescriptive In other words, as the Spirit was moving in the hearts of these new believers, this was the fruit. This is what naturally or supernaturally came out of them. It was an action that came by the work of the Spirit. They understood that they're part of now a new people of God together, and that this meant that they were set apart from the rest of the world. And they were bonded closely to one another, so they were united And that wasn't just words to them. And beloved, it wasn't just an address that they visited once in a while or once a week. It wasn't, I I go to that church. It was, these are my brothers and sisters. And they meant it. In fact, the, the unity of TMBC isn't really a question of what happens when we are here. That is important. But something more revealing is what happens when we leave here. We go home. Are we involved in each other's lives? In what sense can we be said that we are together? How are we one? Do we know each other's needs? The early church did. How do we know? Well, let's ask another question. Do we care for each other's needs? Imagine, they were selling their possessions and their belongings. They were sacrificing to make sure that there was no one among them who had any need. Beloved, that's awesome. If you think about what that meant, how some of them were probably even strangers to each other, yet they lived as community, family. That didn't mean that they all lived within the same neighborhood. They just acted like it. And beloved, I think we do care for each other in this church. 
As a matter of fact, I'm very proud of this church and so many of you who show how much you care. I see so much of it from this congregation. A genuine love for one another and a willingness to sacrifice, to help, and to care for. But guess what? We can definitely care for each other more, can't we? There's always more. Paul says in some of his letters, you, are, you, you, you uh, love one another. I know you love one another. And he goes on later in, this other, in the letter and he says, may your love abound more and more. Okay, we get it, Paul. There's always more to do. Recently, I, I had a, a few different folks who were dealing with various difficulties tell me that the sisters and brothers at this church really stepped up and made them feel loved and supported. Praise the Lord. Keep going, TMBC. Keep doing it. That's the Spirit's work. The fruit that He's bearing in us to love and care for those we are one with, especially in the local church, because we are one with and in Christ. We care for those He cares for. Now look, I have to be honest, others have shared that they haven't always felt support and nurture in this church. Let's keep our eyes open. Let's continue to look around. Let's find ways that those folks are in need today. It may not be material needs. Maybe they need more friendship. Maybe companionship. The early church had great material needs and, and that's how they provided for each other. They sold off their possessions and made sure they provided. That may not be the case today. Our devotion is to one another, to being together, to being one. That's part of our discipleship. It's part of following Jesus. One commentator explains that the phrase used here and translated together had a strong emphasis on their unity, oneness. What's interesting to me, look at verse 46. The ESV uses the language of together there, but that's a translation of another word. And that word there, while they're attending the temple together, that word means something like unanimously or of one mind. You see, their unity was in the new way in which they viewed life and each other and others. They lived unanimously with one soul, with one mind. The gospel was their life, their thinking, their purpose. Can it be said of TMBC that we live unanimously? I hope so. Even their possessions, even their financial giving. It was viewed with the gospel as the focus. They were no longer owners, but stewards of God's riches. Now look, this isn't some form of early communism that we see here. They, they kept their private property, but they saw it as God's. To be used for His church and His people and the needs that arose. How do we view our possessions? Do we live like stewards? Do we live like owners? And imagine if everyone in the church were giving according to their ability, consistently, sacrificially. Look, beloved, we give quite a bit to missions. Praise the Lord. But man, we could easily fund and support so much more 
so that the nations will hear about Jesus, the one we call Lord and Christ. Amen? We pool our resources for the purposes of the gospel. It is part of being together to be consistent and sacrificial in our giving. They had the same purpose, and that's what drove them. They went to the temple. Some scholars point out likely not only to hear the apostles' teaching, but they also wanted to be a witness. They wanted people to see them worshiping Jesus. They wanted people to know Jesus. They would worship and praise God out loud in the temple precincts in Christ and draw attention to the Messiah. And note this well, again in verse 46, they had their homes open to one another and they were sharing meals. Why? Because their family, their family now. Fellowship included hospitality from those who were able. Invite them into your home. Share what God has given you. You know what? The neighbors then would see what was going on. Some of them would be invited also to hear the word discussed around the tables in their homes. One author made the point, very interesting point, very clear point. He says, look, early Christian fellowship undoubtedly centered more on intimate worship, sharing, and learning the Scriptures than its modern Western counterpart tends to do. In other words, beloved, the word fellowship wasn't just social in those days. And I'd say that it shouldn't be just social today. When we gather with our church family in our own homes or out for other opportunities, we should be praying together, sharing praise reports together, lifting each other to the Lord and edifying one another with the Word. And look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, beloved, growth is is God's, excuse me, to give, not ours to manufacture. From what we see in Scripture, He gives true growth while churches are simply living Christianly and doing what Christians are supposed to do day by day, day by day, day by day. That leads us to our final thought for this morning, our final important word, daily. Daily. This was their regular pattern. It was their way of life. Note verses 46 and 47. They found joy in this new life. They they realized that living together for Christ Jesus was the only thing that could truly fulfill them. And so day by day, every day, they got together. They went from home to home and they wanted to be filled with truth. This was not an occasional commitment. It was spirit-produced common life that they lived. Devotion together daily. Beloved, we're going to spend more time in this text next week thinking carefully about fellowship, about what it means to break bread together, and about prayer. But I want us to take a moment to step back and reflect. First, reflect on Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the head of the church, who who loved us in such a way that He pursued us even when we wanted nothing to do with Him. And we weren't pursuing Him. He knows our names. And we know His voice. Isn't that what John 10 tells us? The Good Shepherd and His sheep. 
We are His because He purchased us and redeemed us by His own sacrifice, His own blood. We are His because He showed us incredible kindness and grace to forgive us freely by grace. And we receive this simply by faith. And the unbelievable reality is that along with forgiveness, He gives us something even more. He gives to us His Holy Spirit. Reflect on Christ. Reflect on Christ our King and give Him praise and give Him thanksgiving. Think about all the riches that we have because of Jesus and ask yourself, how can I give Him thanks? And the answer is, follow Him. So second, reflect on our own participation in Christ's church because He's worthy. Devotion, together, Daily, ask the Lord, where can we grow this year? Sanctify us, Lord. Where do we need to grow? Ask, Lord, how can I draw nearer to You and live more faithfully as Your child this year? Help me, Lord. Maybe there's an area of ministry that you've been hesitant to plug into. You've been thinking about it. You have a sense of gifting and and maybe even a desire, but you've just been hesitant. Well, ask the Lord for strength and give it a try. Maybe you've needed community, but you haven't known how to get connected. Don't keep silent. Come talk to me. Talk to others. Make a point. I need community. Maybe you've seen people's needs and wanted to help out, but you're too shy. Oh, let's be honest, maybe too lazy. Ask the Lord to move you toward action this year. Maybe you realize you've been living like your resources are your own and you are an owner, not a steward. Ask the Lord for the strength and faith to tithe and give consistently in 2024 because He is worthy. And as we're asking Him to work in us, thank Him for His patience and His Spirit who never stops working in us. Thank you, Lord, that it is your strength and not ours. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the Scriptures that teach us. We're grateful for your Word that guides us. We're grateful for the work that you have done in the church throughout the years, including in the earliest believers. And we thank you that that same God and same Spirit is at work in us. So I pray, Lord, that we would, in the same way, be a church that has great joy in being together, preaching, proclaiming, and worshiping Jesus. I pray that we would be willing and open to opening our homes and our hearts to one another, that there would not be a single person who ever leaves this church gathering feeling somehow alone or unloved. I pray, Lord, that the gifts that are in this church, and they are many, for your Spirit has given many gifts, I pray that they would all be used in 2024 for your glory, and knowing that it is only by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.